Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. You follow along in your scriptures as I begin in verse 13 and read down through verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Did you notice that phrase in the middle of this text? It's the beginning of verse 15. For this is the will of God. You ever struggle with God's will in your life? You ever wonder what God has planned for you? You ever try to determine next steps so that you can be exactly where God wants you to be and so that you can be doing exactly what God wants you to do? Brian and Robin have been praying, God, show us your will for our lives. And it was through the military that God showed them his will for, you know, God can even do that. He can use institutions. Now, as we think about God's will, there are some biblical principles that we need to understand. The first one is that God has a sovereign will. We'll define that in just a minute. The next one is this. God has a moral will. Now, God's sovereign will depends on his plan, that which he has outlined for predetermining what he wants done in the universe. That is God's sovereign will. God's moral will is his revealed plan about how we should live. Now, connecting those two together, we discover God's individual will for our lives. What God wants us to do and how God wants us to respond and how we are then to live before him. You see, our individual will is our ultimate choices. Our choices in connecting God's sovereign will and God's moral will. And it's based upon what we know about God. Let me see if I can illustrate this in salvation. God's sovereign will is that he has chosen us, he has predestined us before the foundation of the earth. God knows that. That is his predetermined plan. I can't explain it because that's a God plan. I have trouble understanding it because it's a God plan. It's beyond my finite mind, and I don't know how it works, but I know it works because God has revealed it to me in his word. God's moral will is that all men should come to the truth, 
He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is God's moral truth for mankind. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world for God so loved, right? Now, what is our individual will? Our individual will is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? That whosoever believeth, there it is, should not perish. But that is our responsibility. God's will for our lives is that we be saved. And you can see how it's all identified in his sovereign will, his moral will, his individual will. And God puts it together so that we might be the kind of people that he wants us to be. Now, how do we figure all this out in our lives? Next week, we're going to develop these four points, but I want to give them to you. This is not in your notes. How do we figure this out? It starts with God's Word, right? God's Word is truth. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is designed to give us information so that we can properly respond to who God is. It then is part of the Holy Spirit who is inside of us to guide us and to direct us. And we do that through prayer and we listen. We quench not the Spirit. We make sure that we are sensitive to the Spirit in our lives. We make sure that we're not grieving the Spirit of God. We'll talk about this next week. God has also given to us examples in his word. So we need to look at biblical examples and we need to decide how they responded in their lives to certain circumstances. And then God uses experience. Experience may be counselors, may be other believers, may be circumstances in our lives. God uses all of this to help us know his will for our lives. But his will involves us living within his sovereignty as we understand it, living within his morality as we understanding it, and determining how God wants us to react to that which is around us. Now we talk sometimes about being in the center of his will. Yeah, we want to be there. But do not think that that is some dot that we have to hit. Because God gives to us freedom within his sovereign and moral will to respond to him. I got up this morning and I decided to wear this suit. I have told you I wear a suit on Sunday because I have them in my closet. I have seven of them in my closet. If I count my tux, I have eight. You probably won't see me wearing my tux much on Sunday morning. But I decided I would wear this suit and I decided I would wear these socks with this suit. That was the decision I made. Now, frankly, I wasn't thinking too much about God's sovereignty in my life. I knew he wanted me to dress before I came to church. Yeah, we all knew that, all right? We all figured that out. I knew that God wanted me to dress in a way that would not... Take away from who he is and that would reflect his working in my life. I need to dress modestly. It's God's moral will. But I could choose to wear these socks. You like them? I didn't hear anybody whistling. Okay. And that was my choice. 
I have to tell you, I had other socks in my drawer I could have worn with this suit. But I chose these. Thank you. So, as we talk about God's will, let's understand that it is based on his sovereignty, it's based on his morality, but within that sphere, as long as we don't violate his sovereignty and we don't violate his morality, we have a lot of choices in in our lives for God to give to us an understanding of what he specifically has for our lives. Amen? Amen? We're going to talk more about this next week, so stay tuned. Now, here in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter gives to us four areas that he says are God's will for our lives. Four specific responsibilities that we have so that we can be the kind of people God wants us to be. The first area is that we are to submit. We are to submit to the powers and authorities, we are to honor them in our lives. Did you notice what the text says? Verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, I need to remind you to whom Peter is writing. He is writing to elect exiles. He is writing to people who are not living in their homeland. He is writing to folks who are under another authority. He's writing to you and to me. We're exiles. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. But as we live in this world, we are in authority to those that God has placed over us. And he lists two in our text. He lists emperors and he lists governors. Now, who are these people? The emperors are those who are national authorities. The governors are those who are local authorities. And what Peter is saying is be subject to those people. Now, I want you to keep your finger here in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 13. Will you please? Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, every time there's a therefore, you find out what it's, it's there because the authorities are instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, 
For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You ever been stopped by a policeman? You ever been stopped by a policeman for doing right? Why not? I think policemen ought to stop us more often and say, good job. But then we'd get upset because they interfered with our schedule, right? <laughs> Scripture says that authorities are put up by God. And there is no authority except God puts it up. You say, well, what about bad authorities? Remember what God did to teach his people something? God many times in the Old Testament gave his people an ungodly authority because they were under judgment. You know, I think sometimes God gives us the people and authority that we deserve. He did that in the Old Testament, didn't he? And time and time and time again, you discover that God sent someone who would judge his people Israel. Now, God does that in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, Connie and I had the opportunity of going to the Baptist Admissions Annual Conference. And the speaker was Daniel Davies. And I've shared with you that he preached through Jonah. God gave Jonah a direct instruction. Right? Go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah turned tail and was headed 2,500 miles away from Nineveh in the opposite direction. So what did God do? God sent some things. God sent a big wind. Huh? So that even the sailors were afraid. God sent... A big fish to swallow. You know, that was God's grace. If it weren't for that big fish, Jonah would have drowned. God sent a plant in Jonah chapter 5, 4, Jonah chapter 4, to shelter Jonah because it was hot and he was miserable. And then God sent a worm to destroy the plant. So that Jonah would get the point. Now in all of those ways, God sent exactly what Jonah needed in his life to help Jonah get in the middle of God's will. To know his sovereign will, to know his moral will, and to practice what God wanted him to do. God sends national authorities. God sends local authorities. To whom we are to submit because they are instituted by God. Like it or not like it, you ask yourself the question, okay, God, what do you want me to learn from this? Maybe you meet a new friend on the highway. God, what do you want me to learn? You know, there's a lesson there. Now, why are we to submit to these authorities? The beginning of verse 13 says this. For the Lord's sake. We don't do it because we necessarily think they are righteous rulers. 
We don't do it because we necessarily think they are doing everything properly. We don't do it because we necessarily like everything that's going on around us. We do it for the Lord's sake. Why do you do what you do? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do also the glory of God. You know, sometimes that's not easy. You are well aware that Connie and I are at a time in our lives that we are trying to figure out how to help our elderly parents. A week ago, Connie and I had a conversation about the potential of her mom coming and living with us. Her mom has a cat. I hate cats. Now, if you're a cat person, I'm sorry if I've offended you. Connie's allergic to cats. But I told Connie, I said, you know, if it's necessary for your mom to bring the cat, for us to be able to minister to her, so be it. Why? Because there's something a whole lot more important than my likes and dislikes. Because there's something way above my comfort level. It's all about honoring our parents. And for God's sake, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even it means dealing with cats. What in your life have you said, I can't do? Is Philippians 4.19 in the Bible or not? I can do all things through Christ. Is it there or not? Does it mean what it says? Is there any other way to read it? For the Lord's sake. And really, it's not only for the Lord's sake, it's for the gospel's sake. Look at the end of of chapter 1 in, in 1 Peter. Back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The gospel. Verse 9. We read it or quoted it this morning. You are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, peoples. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him for the Lord's sake, for the gospel's sake. Him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's what really matters in my life. As far as Connie's mom's concerned, it's not about cats. It's for the sake of the gospel. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those outside the law, I became like those who are outside the law, not violating the law. To the weak, I became weak. I became all things to all people. So that by some means I might win some for the gospel's sake. We are to submit, be subject to every human institution. But not only does Peter tell us that we are to be subject and submit, we are also to sow good deeds. Verse 15. 
For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By doing good. Now, Scripture is full of encouragement to do good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We know those verses, don't we? For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what comes after verse 9? I thought somebody would say verse 10. It's true. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk therein. James puts it this way. You show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works, for faith without works is dead, being alone. Jesus said in Matthew, by their fruits, you shall know them. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told to walk in love, we're told to walk in light, we're told to walk circumspectly, carefully in this world. So good deeds And we need to make sure that we are sowing good deeds. Now, you say, well, I live my life to please God and it doesn't do any good. You remember that parable Jesus taught? You can read it in Matthew chapter 13. It's a parable of the sower and the soils. Remember that one? And you remember what the sower was sowing? The word of God. Good deeds. And some of the seed fell on the path. Some of it fell among rocks. Some of it fell among thorns. And some of it fell in good ground. And the good ground produced fruit. Now you and I want to be sown in good ground, right? But it's not always going to happen. Sometimes your good deeds are going to fall on the path and people are just going to walk all over them. Going to happen. Sometimes it's going to fall among rocky soil. People aren't interested. they got other stuff in their lives. Sometimes it's going to fall and people are going to nod assent and say, hey, thank you very, very much, and they're going to go out and do the opposite. Because the thorns are going to come up and choke out the fruit. And sometimes, sometimes, oh, sometimes, you see God at work and people responding, and it making a difference. And you go, glory! That's the way it ought to work. But never in that parable does Jesus tell the sower, don't sow the seed. Never. And so we are responsible to sow good deeds in our lives. Now, what does that do? Back to our text. For by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I think it's interesting here. It says, silence ignorant fools. I smile when I read that. That's pretty good incentive for me to do good works, isn't it? I'm going to silence a whole bunch of ignorant fools out there. And you know... If they condemn me, I'm reminded they're just ignorant fools. They don't know any better. If they don't get it, I'm reminded they're ignorant fools. 
And you know what? If they respond bad to me, it's okay because they're just ignorant fools. In our lives, we must understand that our responsibility is to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Did you read the Daily Bread this morning? If you did, you saw this. I thought it was interesting the way this just dovetails together. Let your light shine. You notice how dark the picture is? You know, the darker your world, the brighter your light. The more ignorant and foolish people around you, the brighter your light. (laughs) That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Peter says the will of God is to be subject to those in authority. The will of God is to sow good works. The will of God is to be servants of God. Back to our text. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. There's almost an oxymoron here. You know, that's two opposite truths that are put together to make one. Icy hot is an oxymoron. Bright darkness, that's an oxymoron. Deafening silence. Do you hear it? That's an oxymoron. And so Peter here is almost putting oxymorons together. Live as people who are free, servants of God. It's important that we understand that God has a plan for us. Live as people who are free. There is nothing better than being a child of God, right? What shall I fear? What shall man do me to harm me if I be followers of good? Right? Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I am so thankful that in my relationship to God through his son Jesus Christ, I am free and the truth has set me free and I am free indeed. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen? Huh? Live as people who are free. Why? Because we have a relationship with God who has given to us everything that we need for life and godliness. And he is providing everything we need, not only for this life, but for the next. That's some pretty good freedom, isn't it? You know what ties us up a lot of times? Fear. You want to get choked up. Get afraid of something. You want to get paralyzed. Live in fear. Scripture tells us that we are to live in freedom because of what we have in Christ. Preston Hawksworth, in our ABFs, Bible Fellowships, has been working us through Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And he has been encouraging us to stay out of the ditch. Stay out of the ditch of license. Stay out of the ditch of legalism. But the reality is we are free to be the kind of people God has called us to be. 
And that ought to excite us because God has provided everything necessary so that we can be his kind of people. And that's in the middle of his will. Not new, using your freedom as a cover-up. The only place in the New Testament where this phrase is used is here. It has the idea of a cloak, a covering, a veil, a pretext. I'm free so I can do what I want. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And in Romans chapter 7, the law is sin? By no means. God forbid. So we need to stay out of the ditch. But we need to recognize that it is God's will that we live in great freedom. And that gives to us a lot of room in his sovereign and moral will. I'm a Diet Coke kind of guy. <laughs> Obviously, I don't represent everybody in this room. One of the first questions that Connie and I have as we go to, go to a restaurant is, Coke or Pepsi products? It makes a difference to us. Now, if you're a Pepsi person, God bless you. But it's okay. I have the freedom to be a Coke person. And it won't hurt me a bit that you're a Pepsi person. One day you're going to have to stand before God and give an account. But I'm not going to go around saying, you're a Pepsi person and you shouldn't be doing that. Who cares? How many times do we do that in our lives? For whatever reason, it's wrong. We should not use our freedom in Christ as a pretense, as a cover-up. Because all it does is clouds our relationship with God, which is real freedom. But that relationship with God is intended us to be his servants. I mentioned at the end of the ABF this morning that because I'm married, there are certain things that I do and don't do in life. Married people understand that, right? Connie and I have a great marriage. We enjoy each other's company. But it's because I have this relationship with Connie that I act this way. It's because I have this relationship with God that I act this way. And I am free in Christ. And the Son has set me free, and I am free indeed to be a servant of God. Amen? That is God's will. I can do all things through Christ. Well, one more piece of God's will given to us here in 1 Peter chapter 2. And that is this, we have a supreme purpose. Verse 17, honor everyone. The word honor there has the idea of continued action because of a past decision. It's an aorist imperative if you care. 
And that means I made this choice and I'm going to follow through. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is everyone? That poor people? That rich people? That wicked people? That righteous people? That people with a lot of hair? That people with, well, let's not go down that road. That people who wear suits and ties? That people who don't? That people who sing on key? That people who sing off key? Huh? You get the picture here? We need to, in our lives, in the will of God, make a decision that we are going to honor people. We are going to recognize them as persons created in the image of God. Amen? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Who are the brotherhood? Those who know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, those who are part of the family of God. Amen? Love the brotherhood. Love brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, sometimes in my dysfunctional family, I have a challenge loving the brotherhood. But the word here is a habitual pattern that takes place in our lives. Fear God. Did you notice that? Fear God. Scripture says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of living God. Romans chapter 3 says that the wicked of this world have no fear of God in their lives. But Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Respect, understand the authority in our lives. Recognize there is one to whom I am accountable. And not out of anguish, but out of love. And then it says, honor authorities. Did you note we are to honor authorities, but we're to fear God? Which is more important? That's right. Fearing God. We are to be subject. We are to share. Honor, love, respect. In the midst of fearing God. That is God's will. Now may I end with this? Look up here. 1 John chapter 2. This is in the section where it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man loves the world, the love of the Father that is in him, it talks about the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And then John says this, And the world is passing away. A truer statement could never have been written. It's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Because he lives, right? I can face anything in my life. Next week we're going to talk about the will of God. 
Now we're going to go to scriptures and see what the Bible says is the will of God. Let me encourage you this week. Take a concordance or get on your computer and trace the phrase will of God throughout the Bible and see what you can find out. Because God gives to us some very specific principles for our lives. This is the will of God.